Welcome to the Peace of Me podcast. This is your space for all things peace, positivity, and finding balance to live your best life. Life gets busy and at times it's messy. I'm here to help you clean things up and put peace back in its place. I'll share tips, ideas, interviews, mindset shifts, and fresh perspectives to help you along the way. If you've been listening to this show for some time, then you've heard me talk about how much I love my iced coffee. I drink it year-round and rotate the creamer flavors to keep it fun. In the summer, I would switch between coconut cream and French vanilla, but now that we're shifting seasons, I'll pull cinnamon roll and pumpkin spice out of the archives and into the mix. Once my iced coffee is just the way I like it, I'll add a java sock sleeve to keep it colder for longer. Think coffee koozie. These sleeves keep my cup from sweating and making a total mess. Plus, java socks add a touch of your personality to your cup. Because I love iced coffee so much, I want to give a handful of lucky listeners a free coffee on me. I've partnered with Java Sock to include a pink tie-dye coffee sock with this giveaway. I love the color combination. The pink tie-dye is giving total Barbie vibes. To see the sock, get the contest rules, and for your chance to win, head on over to the Piece of Me podcast Instagram page. I'll also link my Instagram page in the show notes of this episode below so you can have a chance to get a coffee on me. Hi friends, it's Lexi Lee. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're not new, then welcome back and thanks for coming back to the podcast. Today's episode is one I thought about doing for quite some time, but I really just hadn't found the right guest to talk about it. Now it's a sensitive topic, but it's also one that we are starting to talk a little bit more openly about. Now, there are certain times of year when not drinking is a goal, like dry January, dry July, sober October, but alcohol might be more than something that you take a break from. Maybe it's something you struggle with. Maybe you're a little concerned with your own alcohol consumption and wondering if you need some help. Now, my guest today did struggle with alcohol for a long time. She made the decision years ago to finally quit for good, but it hasn't been easy. Now, in this episode, Gracelyn from Living Sobriety Authentically is joining me on the Peace of Me podcast to share her story and commitment to quit and live her life more authentically. Now, please be advised that parts of this conversation may be triggering for some, so listener discretion is advised. Hi, Gracelyn. Welcome to the Peace of Me podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I've been really looking forward to it. I have too. I have too. And I think the listeners are really going to enjoy hearing about your journey. And, you know, when your episode comes out, it's right before the beginning of October, which for a lot of people, they uh, have a goal that they set to do sober October. But for you, you decided to make this a little bit longer than a month. So I'd love to hear your story and your journey. So if you would, just tell us a little bit about yourself and the journey that you've been on. Yeah, thank you. Um, So my name is Gracelyn, and I am a 33-year-old who has now been on my recovery journey for nine years. And um, so with that, that means I started about 24 years old. 
and it has been an up and down journey, but it has been um, really eye opening, incredible in many different ways. And with that, you know, um, I knew pretty early on that there was something that wasn't quite right with my um, drinking behaviors. We'll use that word. Uh, never drank, you know, um, through K through 12, through high school. I never, uh, never considered it really. And come college towards the end of my freshman year, and again, I'm not endorsing by any means um, underage drinking, but that is where um, my journey really began. I had dealt with some trauma, um, multiple traumas my freshman year, and um, ended up experimenting with alcohol at that time. And it was an instantaneous um, kind of game over for lack of a better word. It was just it, everything changed and it changed quickly. So um, I was using alcohol for about six years when I realized that it was time to make a difference and time to make a change and to do something about it. And that is when um, my recovery journey started. And like I said, it's been now about a nine year journey with that. It's had ups and downs, but proud to say that I've been in recovery now since March 15th of 2017. So a little over six years and really just learning a lot from it and learning to embrace the mess and find the beauty in the mess as well. Absolutely, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Now when people, I shouldn't say people, when, or maybe you specifically, but when when someone makes this kind of decision, you mentioned having multiple traumas in your freshman year. Does it usually take something kind of life-changing or something traumatic to kind of realize, okay, this isn't working anymore. I have to change my plan. Yeah. So great question. Um, no, it actually doesn't always take me. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that are out there. Um, again, I also work with the recovery community. I'm a mental health professional. And so um, what I share now is both a mixture of that experience professionally and personally. But what I would say is we always hear the phrase, oh, well, they have to hit their rock bottom before something will change. And rock bottom looks different for everyone. What may be a rock bottom for me could, could or could not be for somebody else. And sometimes people uh, don't hit that rock bottom altogether and they just recognize, you know, on their own or from things that other people have shared that it's just time for a change. Or maybe they've had a health outcome as a result of the drinking and it's just they're ready to um, activate on that. So definitely doesn't have to be like that pivotal key moment, you know, that we all look for. Uh, for recovery to start, but it's just when people are ready, when people are wanting to see a difference, to activate differently, and to really embrace the beauty that life can be on the other side of recovery. Mm -hmm. When you made that decision for yourself, were you like, how were you feeling in that moment? Was it like excited for a new chapter? Was it scary? Was it you know, like, what were you kind of going through? Yeah. So I wish I could sit here and say I was, I was excited about it. I was far from excited about it. Um, I was actually at the time, ironically, working with university students around activating a collegiate recovery program. And I really hadn't thought much about how my drinking behaviors looked 
I knew there wasn't something that was right with it. I knew I was drinking to cope. I knew all of the things, but working with this group, it kind of brought it to the forefront. And I was like, okay, I can't, I can't work in this, in this field and support those in recovery and then not walk the walk myself. And that was scary. That was scary to embrace. Um, you know, there's a lot of stigma being that I have experienced, I should say, I shouldn't speak for that broadly, but that I have experienced being a mental health provider that's also in recovery and experiences co-occurring disorders that I shouldn't ever work in the field or that I can't be there for somebody else because I can't, you know, quote, be there for myself. And so um, there was a lot of fear that was associated with taking that first step. There was a lot of cultural stigma and self-stigma. I have to recognize the role that uh, my own stigma had. And then there was just a lot of anxiety and unknowns of what will this look like? Who will I be when I go through recovery? Uh, How will I be embraced in that? But the longer that I went through recovery, the more excitement there was. There was naturally more excitement because you're seeing better health, health outcomes. You're seeing yourself more present in an intentional and compassionate way with loved ones and friends. And you're seeing yourself able to commit to yourself, better self-care and coping. And you're seeing financial gains even. Um, I say that as, as we're going through a potential recession, inflation, you, you notice financial benefits. And so uh, naturally more excitement comes with it. It's not to say that there's never fear or anxiety or stress with it as well. But the, the excitement definitely comes through. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is going through their own journey and, you know, says to themselves, I want to get on the road to recovery, where really do they start? I mean, you kind of brought that up of like, what does that look like? Where do I even go? Like, where do they start? I always say the first step. That's where you start. Like, sometimes we think that there has to be this um, scripted out plan of how that looks. And I say, start where you feel comfortable. If um, you're ready for it, ask for help. Maybe that means going to a supportive loved one or going to a local community mental health center or inpatient or outpatient. Maybe it's calling, you know, the national lifeline. Um, That number is now 988, but they even uh, take support, provide support around um, substance use. And so maybe it's calling them to process through what that looks like. But I always say, whatever you need that first step to be, let that be the first one. So for some, it's also been just removing all of the alcohol from the home or saying no to social events that maybe you're at, are out at a bar or at a party where alcohol is going to be consumed. So I say, take baby steps, take that first step, um, activate as slowly as you need, but just take that first step. Hmm. And I have a question because you mentioned something and I, I know a lot of things have changed over time. And I think we have, I hate to say the word label on things, but I noticed that you said substance use. And I remember always hearing substance abuse. So do they mean different things? Have we kind of updated the, the language around that? 
Yeah, so culturally, especially within the mental health field, we are gradually working to change that language. So we are saying that we're recognizing oftentimes with individuals who are struggling with addiction of any kind, but around substances, um, it is a substance use disorder. And so um, there has been a lot of stigma associated when we use the word abuse. And so it's just allowed for us to shift that dialogue and recognize, um, again, there's a disorder behind it and it's not something to be ashamed of. It's a mental health condition, just as depression or anxiety, or just as a physical health condition could be. It's just how some of our brains are wired and something that we just navigate, but it is a shift that's happening and we're starting to see it um, you know, at the federal level, at our state level. And so um, changing it from substance abuse to substance use disorder or substance misuse is what we tend to see. Okay. Now, I'm just thinking about if you're, if you're someone who has been through this, you've been through this journey for quite some time, let's just say you see somebody in your circle, it could be a friend of yours, a coworker, and you're kind of, you're noticing maybe they're on the same path that you were once on. Is it okay to kind of intervene and say, hey, you know, I'm noticing some unhealthy habits? Like, I guess, is it appropriate to step in? What would that look like if it is? Can you kind of tell us about that? Yeah, I would say yes, definitely step in. Uh, You can always ask the questions and do so in a compassionate and empathetic way. You can do it in a way that validates. You know, I think back, I do a lot of work within suicide prevention, and we always kind of, we always state right off the get-go that asking the question about suicide does not put the thought in someone's head. And in fact, what it does is it allows people to know that you care, that you're willing to step into that safe space to let them know you're there. And I think of that very similar, similarly, when we talk about substance use, you know, if you are concerned about a friend, you don't want to go into that conversation and say, you are doing X, Y, and Z, and how dare you do X, Y, and Z, and this is how it's negatively impacting me. But instead saying, hey, I've noticed, you know, over the X, Y, and Z amount of time that there has been some changes in um, your drinking, or it could even be, I've been noticing that you're not having fun, you know, kind of all these different ways of wording it. And then just saying, is everything okay? How can I support you? But really stating from the get-go how you're noticing observed changes can be helpful because what it does, it allows for that person to know that, hey, I'm seeing you when things are going really well. I'm seeing you when times are feeling challenging, but I recognize that and I want to be here to support you. And so definitely have the conversations. It's not going to mean it's going to always go great. And we have to validate that and understand that we may have that conversation and someone gets um, upset about that. It could be because there's no substance use um, disorder happening or any of that. It could be because they aren't ready to embrace um, the misuse that's happening. So it's not always going to go perfectly, but it allows people to know that you're there. And so Mm -hmm. definitely ask the questions. The other thing that I would say is that, uh, the, again, that 988 National Lifeline number, they, you don't yourself don't have to be in crisis to call. You can call if you're concerned about someone and someone else's substance use. And so you could always call that number 
and process through with them what you're seeing and see if they have any feedback as well about how to navigate that. That's really helpful because I, I would have thought that that's only for the individual to call, not for somebody who cares about them. Yeah, yeah. It's for for anyone um, currently experiencing any form of distress, um, again, mental health or substance use, and those who maybe need some support to help support someone else or get them linked to care. Hmm. Now, you made your choice on, you know, on your road to recovery and but how does somebody, maybe if there's somebody listening to this right now, who's thinking, you know, yeah, I would like to do like a sober October or a dry July, or maybe go dry in January, but how do they even know if they maybe even have a problem, if that's even like the right word, but how do they know if like, okay, maybe I am drinking too much. I mean, where is it kind of like danger zone? Yeah. So, um, if you aren't ready to have that conversation with a provider, one of the things that you can do is go to Mental Health America. They on their website is a free online screener. I always want to put the caveat on that in that it is not a diagnosis tool. So don't take the screener. And if it says um, that you have a high likelihood of a substance use disorder, they are not diagnosing you, but it could be a tool to help you maybe learn more about how you're using substances or if there is a concern that maybe you need to address with your provider, use it as a learning tool to navigate that. I always recommend talking with a mental health provider. Again, it could be a one-off session. Um, you know, a lot of jobs have what's called an employee assistance program. So maybe it's connecting with your EAP provider to have some free sessions to discuss what that could look like. But if, if you are wanting to get that initial check, then I would say Mental Health America is great. Um, also, a lot of providers now in the primary care setting do uh, screeners or questionnaires. So maybe it's getting into your provider and getting that questionnaire done. Uh, but those are two initial tools that I would recommend. But it could also be as easy, or I shouldn't say the word easy because it's never as easy as it sounds, but going online and doing your own learning and research from evidence-based resources to, you know, look at the warning signs and the symptoms and the risk factors and learn more about what that looks like and how that may be impacting you as well. Mm-hmm. And thinking a little bit more about your personal journey, you mentioned nine years now, I think that you've been, I guess, is sober the appropriate word? Is that Yes. The, yeah. Okay. Um, but then you mentioned something about reoccurring. You mentioned, you, had, you said a couple things in there that I wanted to go back to. And I was thinking about, um, do you ever feel, I mean, especially with social media, I feel like with social media, there's there's so much of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out and YOLO, you know, you only live once. And do you ever feel like it's that you are missing out or that you feel pressure to drink when you're not? Oh, sure. Um, you know, and I always, I always think about that question and I'm like, okay, what's most helpful to tell people? Because I don't want people to not go into a sobriety or recovery of any journey because they hear me say, Yes, sometimes I have fear of missing out. However, I don't want to tell people that's never an issue because then I don't want them to find themselves experiencing FOMO and then stop their recovery journey because they feel like they're not ready. So, yeah, I absolutely experience um, at times, not all the time, 
but um, I do experience that, you know, oh, maybe if I was drinking, I would be hanging out with these friends or I would have been invited or, you know, maybe I would have been more fun or more light if I was doing X, Y, and Z. But those are, that's really just the misconceptions and stigma that I'm putting on it. And I think it comes down a lot to as well, the environments that we surround ourselves with. And so I'm still very much um, close friends with many of those that were in my support group before my friend network and all of that. But I've had to adjust what that expectation looks like and the frequency in which uh, we all get together or the events that I go to. And then I have added into that surrounding myself with social media, following social media accounts that really promote um, sobriety. And it could be sobriety or it could be, again, that sober curious or, you know, just embracing, you know, mocktails and a sober lifestyle. And so making sure that I have those supports in place as well so that I'm not only being surrounded by, um, you know, friendships or dynamics or environments that could potentially make me feel like I'm missing out of something. But what I would say with that is one of the things that I have found super helpful is that I use uh, the I Am Sober app, and I also just use the notes feature in my in my cell phone, and I track all of the amazing experiences that I have had as a result of living a sober lifestyle. That way, if at any point I'm at an event and I'm like, oh, I bet you know I would have been more fun or had more fun if I had been drinking. I can go back to that and go, you know, Gracelyn, that isn't the case. You know, you always felt worse. You're making decisions that you would never have chosen for yourself um, if you hadn't been drinking. And it allows me to kind of reset and reprioritize and go, okay, I can have fun sober. I can be happy and joyful and the best friend that I can be sober. And I'm still going to be loved for being sober as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that it's, we were talking about the social media accounts and it sounded like you had balance with that too. You know, like you found the right balance that works for you. And I love the idea of the cell phone. I've always said in other episodes on the podcast that it's such a good way. Like even if you're going through a hard time or I talk about journaling so much because I find so much benefit in journaling, but oh, yeah. just, I mean, we have our phones in our hands all the time. So to capture, like you're saying, especially, you know, reminders to yourself of how many moments you do enjoy, you know, when you're not drinking that, oh, if I need a reference, like your phone's in your pocket or your purse or whatever that it's right there for a quick reference. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. No, it's, I love it. And it's just a great way again, to just get back to baseline, you know, cause we're human. And so anyone in recovery from anything, you know, it could be food, it could be substances, anything. There's going to be times where we have to just remind ourselves of all the amazing things that are happening as a result of recovery. And um, sometimes we just need a little extra push. And the phone has has been great, you know, tracking the activities that you love that you've experienced because of sobriety or the milestones that you've accomplished or the relationships you've built, um, really trying to put a positive spin on that. And I, what I would say is that we're not talking um, toxic positivity here. You know, we're not saying you're not going to have hard days. We're not going to say that there's days where even using your phone app, but it might not still be challenging. You know, 
we want you to validate those emotions and to embrace them and go, okay, I'm going to sit with it for a second and I'm going to understand it's hard and I'm going to understand that this too shall pass. And, you know, um, it might take a while for it to pass, but it will. And just do what you can to um, layer in those positive supports. I love that. Yeah, that's great. And thinking about kind of going to your journey again, um, kind of putting you on the spot, but did you have any hiccups in your recovery where you were doing really, really well and then life happened and then you found yourself, I don't know if it's at square one or, you know, stage one again, day one type of thing, but what did that kind of look like for you if you went through that? Oh, I had many hiccups. Um, So I'll have to try to think of the timeline off the top of my head. But it was sometime around when I first got sober at 24. Um, I was on the journey for about six months. And I found myself in a social situation. It was a friend's annual holiday party, which now I have to make sure I'm very, very, very prepared for. Sometimes I choose not to go. But I went into it with this belief system that if I just get a couple months under my belt, then the urges will be gone and the desires will be gone and it won't be an issue. Um, Unfortunately, what I was failing to recognize for myself is that I still have a diagnosable substance use disorder and the trauma that I had experienced that can make it challenging, the um, kind of, I always say it's like that feeling of emptiness that I have always felt since I was little is still that there, that fear of abandonment is still there. And so those urges aren't immediately going to go away, but I didn't prepare myself for that because I just assumed all would be fine. So I went into the situation. Um, I usually, what I say is that I focus on recovery and not the use. And so I won't go into detail on how I was using at that party, but I did return to use and that is, that's another terminology change that we're hearing is instead of saying relapse, we're saying return to use. And I did return to use that night. Um, you know, it was being in that environment with the environmental triggers that were there, the social insecurities and anxieties that all of that kind of came together and I didn't have a safety plan in place. But however, um, the very next day I, you know, put a quote bandaid on, I was like, all right, we're going to, we're going to try it again. I failed to learn again. And I, I use the word failure lightly. Um, I don't think any of these are failures because I have learned something from it. And for that, you know, I always say I'm bouncing forward, um, you know, and for that, it's just a mistake and not a failure. But, you know, um, started recovery again that next, that very next day, a year and a half later, I still didn't have my safety plan in place. And one of the areas that I really struggle with is fear of of abandonment, fear of neglect, letting people down, feeling like I'll be left. And so I had a um, really awful fight with a loved one. Um, And immediately once the yelling had started my mind went to drinking and i was in their home i ran right to the kitchen again it wasn't a safe environment for sobriety and i grabbed everything and anything i could and started using 
again, then the very next day I was like, okay, you know, I clearly, no matter how long I'm in recovery, I'm going to have to have that safety plan. Their urges will get easier. They'll get um, easier to navigate through, but they're still going to be there sometimes. And so I put a plan into place. Uh, again, I use the I Am Sober app. I use the notes in my phone. Um, I use the My3 app. I have I have safety plans everywhere. And I know just to call upon that when, when needed. And because I've had that safety plan in place, again, I've now been able to maintain sobriety for about six and a half years. And the urges have aren't always gone. You know, sometimes I'll have those urges, but I know I can call back on that and say, this is how I can get through. And I've also learned along the way that you have to be willing to ask for what you need. So there are times, you know, where I'm with family or friends um, who know that I'm in recovery, who are still using alcohol, where I'll say, hey, you know, could you go in a different room, Um, you know, when you're done, obviously, can hang out and all of that, but I'm not in a, in a place to where I want to be surrounded by alcohol use right now. Or, hey, that party sounds like a great amount of fun. I'll catch you all next time. And then follow it up with how about in a couple weekends do you want to come over? And so you can start planning, start asking for what you need and advocate, advocate for yourself because um, you never know. In addition to you, you never know if someone else is facing their their own battles with substance use. And again, it could be a substance use disorder or it could be misusing a substance, but you never know. So it's okay to ask for what you need and create those environments. Yeah, that's that's really great. And, and you actually kind of answered a question I was going to ask you, which is if you have somebody around you who is having a glass of wine, or even if you hear somebody like me just saying that, does that... I, I, does it depend on the day and how you're feeling? Is it the environment? I mean, yeah. how can you ask people around you, how should they be careful? Yeah. So it's all of the above. Um, what I would say to those of us in recovery is that we can't expect for someone to read our minds and to know when it's a tough day for us. And so again, that's when our own advocacy comes in. Uh, for those who are a loved one or a friend, they, you know, need to be open. If someone says, Hey, I just, I can't be around it today. Then I would empower the friends and loved ones to embrace that and say, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'm sure it took a lot of courage. I'm proud of you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll go put that away or, you know, yeah, let's get together next weekend. We'll miss you at the get together today, but I look forward to seeing you later. And so, you know, it's really twofolds on the roles that we play in that because we never know, you know, there, I think about the other day where, you know, I woke up, I was feeling fine, you know, everything was quote normal. And towards the end of the day, it was a stressful work day. You know, I was helping some people through crisis and actually it was a song from several songs from the time that I was actively using alcohol that brought me back to that moment. And I knew I was in a completely different headspace when I got home from work. And I knew at that point, it was my responsibility to say, you know, Hey, I just need this to be a sober, friendly environment. 
And, you know, that needs to look like X, Y, and Z. Can you help me with that? Or should I, you know, go to another place that, that, you know, will embrace that. So um, ask the questions, advocate for yourself. And then again, if you are a loved one listening, um, listen, provide grace, um, provide a non-judgmental space, and then just understand that stigma is still so strong in our culture around substance use disorder. So it takes them a lot of courage to be able to ask for what they need. And it means that they trust you enough to open up to you in that way. So um, just wrap your arms around them and help them through that. Mm-hmm. I've heard too, and I, I'm curious what what you can shed light on with this, because I have heard that when people do maybe if they're able to end one addiction that sometimes and I, I speak of this because I actually had somebody on the podcast before who had, um, who spoke of bipolar disorder and basically it said they had a different addiction before and, um, kind of talked about that, how one kind of replaced another. And is that, does that happen with, I guess the alcohol, like if you, if you quit alcohol, do sometimes, is there another habit that might, maybe it might not be a good one, but that gets kind of replaced with that. Yeah, it definitely can happen. Um, I'll speak to my own experience, so I don't um, speak to others. But I know for me, my um, addiction started, like the addictive behavior started really young with food. Um, Again, I started my first diet before I knew what I was doing back in mid middle years of elementary school and full-blown eating disorder, high school and college, um, got Thankfully, was able to get treatment for that um, through outpatient treatment, through counseling. And when that went away, and there were some changes in the treatment plan, and I don't need to get into that part, but I lost that connection with my therapist and uh, before I could get a new strategy in place. And one of the things I always want to say is you don't want to take away someone's coping mechanism, which may be food, it may be the substance use, whatever it is, you don't want to take that coping mechanism away without having a healthy one in place. And so for me, when I started my recovery journey with, um, with anorexia, what ended up happening is in came probably only a couple months later, alcohol and it immediately it filled that void um, that I was experiencing because I wasn't getting the wraparound supports that I needed. When I initially started my uh, recovery journey with alcohol, then my addictive tendencies with spending and back with food again started to creep their way back in and make their reappearance. And so it absolutely can be challenging. And so that's why I always say that even if you don't feel like you need mental health support, still still embrace it because we need to have those healthy strategies in place because it can happen where if we don't do that and we don't have those um, new strategies ready to go at that time, we're going to look for something else to um, have that quote quick fix. And so um, get help, ask the questions, you know, embrace it full in, you know, that's why we often hear 
with um, substance use recovery that they are, you know, doing counseling and they're doing support groups and they're, you know, listening to amazing podcasts like yours and, you know, really embracing everything they can. And that's a lot of why. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Now, next week, I'll be sharing part two of this conversation. So be sure to come back on Monday to hear what else Graceland shared with me. Before you go, I need your help. If you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, scroll all the way down and give the Piece of Me podcast a positive rating and review. You can also support the podcast by subscribing to this show on Spotify, Apple, Pandora, or wherever you listen. To stay connected, follow the Piece of Me podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and at the website peaceofmepodcast.com.